Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, presented by the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm your host, Noah Schwartz, episode 5 here on the show, and my second straight all-NBA episode. I want to talk all about free agency, because it started last night at 6 o'clock, I'm recording this around 12.30 on Saturday, so we saw a lot of action last night. We've continued to see more action on the free agent market this morning, and if anything breaks during the show, I'll be able to react to it live. I'll talk about some of the signings that have already happened, some of the big trades that have happened, and it has been a really busy couple of hours for me and all of the NBA and all of his fans, so let's get right into it. I want to start with My first topic, and it revolves around the Lakers and Clippers, and that's really where uh, I think the biggest surprise of the night was last night. Montrez Harrell is now an LA Laker, and I think that was something that shocked the entire NBA world when it came out last night. I don't think anybody really saw that coming whatsoever. And yeah, Montrez Harrell, an LA Laker now, uh, coming off a six-man-of-the-year award win last year, and he's signing a two-year deal with the Lakers— about 19 or 20 million for the two seasons, and he's got a player option on that second year. So it's a one-year deal. Plus, we'll see if he wants to come back next season. But really, a total bargain for the LA Lakers. We saw last night they lost Dwight Howard, and that was a a big fiasco early on in the free agency period. We saw him tweet that he was going to come back to the Lakers, be back with the purple and gold around 7:15 or so, and then about maybe five minutes after he tweeted that, and not not even. He deleted that tweet. It found it, We found out that he was retracting uh, the deal there. It wasn't happening. And then we found out a little while later that he was signing in Philly. So the Lakers needed to pivot at the big man spot. And the guy they went with was the reigning sixth man of the year award winner, which, again, just shocked everybody. Not only does it dramatically strengthen the Lakers' title chances because they're getting a guy that averaged 18 or 19 points last year, can get double-digit rebounds in any game, and is one of the hardest-playing guys we have in the NBA, but on top of that, they also have Dennis Schroeder, who they just acquired from the Oklahoma City Thunder the other day, and he's there now off the bench also, and he came in second in six Man of the Year voting. I love that addition for them when they made it earlier this week. So they now have number one and number two in six Man of the Year voting from just this past season on their bench. They also have the NBA's best duo in LeBron James and Anthony Davis, We'll see if they can bring back Contavious Caldwell-Pope. We'll see if they can bring back Rajon Rondo. But they've already made those two additions. They signed Wesley Matthews last night on a one-year $3.6 million deal. He's a very good 3 and D player. Can sort of replace what Danny Green gave them all last season as a shooter and a guy on the wing defender. So great job by the Lakers there. Not only does it strengthen the Lakers dramatically, but it weakens the Clippers. And that's another big part of this. The Clippers last year were... Very centric on Kawhi Leonard. Of course, Paul George played a significant role. But outside of those two guys, it was Montrezl Harrell as the third best player on this team, along with Lou Williams as the fourth best guy. Montrezl Harrell was huge for them last year. He played small ball center. He sometimes played some power forward. He's a phenomenal post player. He's a great rebounder. He plays hard defensively, although he's not too good at it. And as a small big, as a guy who's six foot six playing mostly center... He plays about as hard and as physical as any player in the league. He comes out and plays with a lot of energy. 
And there's a lot of teams in the league that would love to have this guy based on the way he's developed over the last three or three years or so with the Clippers. And now he's going to the Lakers, the biggest rival that the Clippers have. He's going to play in the same building in front of the same Los Angeles fans. But now he's doing it for the defending champions. And it's just a big blow to the LA Clippers. They're going into next season dramatically weakened compared to what they were at the end of the season because they signed Marcus Morris back last night to a four-year deal worth $64 million. I like that addition. They added Luke Kennard earlier this week from Detroit, a very good shooter. They traded Landry Shamit away. But they've now lost Trez. They lost Jermichael Green last night. He went to Denver. I'll get more into that later. And they just don't have enough size at this point. They haven't really made any other additions yet. We'll see if anything breaks over the course of the show. I'll definitely talk about it. But this is a small team to begin with. They've got Ivica Zubats as the center, and there's just not much there in terms of size otherwise. And the only other big guys they had last year were Montrez, Harold, and Jermichael Green, and now both guys are gone. Clippers dramatically weakened. I don't know how they're going to match up with some of these other teams in the Western Conference size-wise. The West has Jokic. It's got Anthony Davis. There's Rudy Gobert. There's a lot of great bigs that play in the Western Conference. Christian Wood signed with Houston yesterday. With all these great big guys, I just don't know how the Clippers match up. And they have as good of a star duo as there is in the league outside of LeBron AD. Kawhi and Paul George are fantastic, and we know what those guys are about and how great they are. But from a size perspective, I don't know how they're going to hold up. And Tyron Lue's going to have to figure that out, and they're going to have to make a move at some point, find some sort of a, of a center on the bargain bin somewhere, because they don't have a lot of money to spend, clearly. Bring him in and see if he can replace what Trez and Jermichael Green have given have given the Clippers for the last couple of years. I just don't know how they're going to do it. But right now, the Lakers look like the overwhelming favorite in the Western Conference with these additions that they have made. We'll see if they can bring KCP back. And uh, with the Western Conference looking a little bit weaker than it did just three or four days ago, Clay Thompson's out for the season, so Golden State's severely compromised. I'm going to get into Denver later, but they look, they, they've had a terrible offseason so far. They look like a disaster compared to where they, what they were a week ago. Houston might blow it up. Russell Westbrook and James Harden might get traded. So we'll see exactly what the West is when the season begins. But it looks definitely weaker than it did just a few days ago. And the Lakers right now look like the overwhelming favorites to repeat and get back to the finals, maybe win another championship. The Lakers are so far the big winners of the Western Conference offseason. All right, on to the two max deals that happened. De'Aaron Fox and Jason Tatum. Two guys in the 2017 draft class. Two of the best young players in the league. And two guys who, to me, both a little bit underrated when they were coming out of college and got $163 million contracts yesterday over five years with the Sacramento Kings and Celtics, respectively. And just so worth it for both of those teams to sign their franchise players to long-term deals. Both guys were... In the top five in the 2017 draft, but Tatum was number three and Fox was number five. And you had Lonzo Ball picked at number two. Lonzo got all the hype in the world that year. All the ball, all the ball brothers seemed to get that. Markel Fultz was the number one pick that year. And so nobody was really talking about Tatum or Fox and just the way that they were talking about these other two guys. Josh Jackson was the fourth pick. And um, now we look at it three years later and these two were the, by far the two best in the class at the top. And they're the guys getting the long-term deals. I love what De'Aaron Fox brings to the game. A speedster at point guard. Probably the fastest player in the NBA. A blur in transition. He's a great crafty finisher as a lefty. He's improved his jump shot coming out of Kentucky. 
He has dramatically improved his defense, his leadership, and he's really just far and away the best player on the Sacramento Kings. Averaged 21 points a game last year. A terrific passer, a guy who sets up everything, creates so much offense for the Sacramento Kings, and he's going to be there long-term. So happy for De'Aaron. He is a phenomenal young player and a guy who's just so worthy of this contract. And then on the other side of this, Jason Tatum, he's getting the same deal as Fox, but he's even better than Fox. And for Tatum, it's kind of been a, an up-and-down roller coaster over the course of his career. He was a great player at Duke under Coach K. He comes into the league as the third pick. And in his rookie year, everything was going great. And he contributed to that Celtics team in 2018 a lot more than I think most people thought he was going to. That had a team with Kyrie Irving that they had just acquired. They had just brought in Gordon Hayward. And if Gordon Hayward, if that news breaks during this episode, I'll be sure to react to it. Hasn't yet. But they brought in Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. And Tatum was the third pick. Jalen Brown was the previous year's third pick. So the expectation was, all right, I guess they'll just let uh, Tatum kind of grow into his role. He'll sort of figure things out for a little while. And it will take him a bit of time to acclimate himself to the NBA. And from day one, he started. From day one, he was an impact player on that Celtics team after they lost Hayward uh, to that major injury. And uh, he's just been a star in the league ever since. The first year was great. He took the Celtics all the way to the conference finals. And then year two, while well, he put up good numbers, about 16 points a game, everybody remembers the Celtics disaster from just last season. Kyrie Irving was a nightmare that year. Tatum took way too many mid-range shots. He was heavily criticized. He wasn't efficient. He didn't look as active in the game as he needed to be. And the Celtics were a 48-win team that got uh, ousted in five games in the second round. And so they came back into this season. They brought in Kemba Walker. They brought back Marcus Smart. They brought back Jalen Brown. They elevated Daniel Tice's role, and they still had Hayward. And this was a team that looked to be on the rise a little bit, bringing a new point guard in, a new leader, somebody who could kind of be uh, the calming presence of that team. And all of a sudden, they're one of the best teams in the league, and they go to the conference finals. And with all those other great players they have, Tatum shined. And he averaged 23 a game, all-NBA player, a guy who has now elevated himself into one of the top 20 players in the world. Fox is close to that, I think, but he's not in the top 20. Tatum is most certainly in the top 20, was in the MVP conversation for a bit of time uh, after the new year, and he is just so, so important to what the Celtics do. One of the best handles for a frontcourt player in the NBA. He has dramatically improved his jump shot. Uh, so, so much that the Celtics can continue to look at with Tatum and say he, he can grow in this area or this area. He's become a great defender. And so he'll be there long-term. Darren Fox will be in Sacramento long-term. Congratulations to both guys. Okay, the reason I'm breaking off that last segment, breaking news in the league. We just found out, Shams Charania just tweeted, Fred Van Vliet has agreed to a four-year, $85 million deal with the Toronto Raptors to re-sign and stay with the team where he won a championship just over a year, just about a year and a half ago. This is breaking news. Shams just tweeted this in the last minute. So I'm breaking, I'm breaking this news live here. This is a live reaction. And... My first thought on it is this is so important for what the Toronto Raptors are trying to do. Bring, bringing Van Vliet back on an $85 million deal to go alongside Kyle Lowry, just a vital uh, uh, acquisition that they made here. A guy that they've used in so many different roles in his first four seasons. A guy who was a bench player for the first three, was a six-man-of-the-year candidate, and now this year has started and was arguably the second best player on the Raptors for most of the season alongside Pascal Siakam because Lowry had a good year, but I don't think he had the kind of year 
that, that Fred Van Vliet had, averaged about 18 or 19 points a game, a terrific passer, an elite three-point shooter, one of the uh, most accomplished undrafted players that we've seen in the league in a long time out of Wichita State, signed with the Raptors, developed. They were the ones who really nurtured him, allowed him to grow into his role, and by year three, he was an established player in the league, a six-man-of-the-year candidate, and a guy who was a big part of their run to win the championship just in 2019. And he was really in a bit of a shooting slump through the playoffs last year, and then he kind of woke up in the middle of the conference finals, had an amazing NBA finals. There were some memorable threes he hit in Steph Curry's face, and I'm trying to just think back, but there were some really memorable ones, one that rolled around the rim like three times before it went in in game one. He was such a vital piece of that team, moved into the starting lineup this year and continued uh, on his progression, and now he's going to be there long term. So great job by the Raptors. I was afraid Van Vliet would leave, and on a team last year that didn't have a lot of depth, they're really only playing with six or seven really key players. I mean, they had the starting group, and then off the bench you had Norman Powell, and uh, and that was about it. And you had Serge Ibaka, and that was about it. And now you bring Van Vliet back. You can keep most of the core you already have. You have Ananobi, you have Siakam. They might have to find some new big guys because Ibaka and Gasol are probably gone, but at least you bring back the guy who was your second or third best player a season ago and somebody who you've developed and... Have, has, he's become a fan favorite in Toronto. They'll be in Tampa Bay this year, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But to bring back Fed Van Vliet, huge addition. I'm so happy for him. He's a phenomenal young player and one of the best development stories in the NBA. All right, no more breaking news to get to right now. So I want to get on to our next topic, and it's on Atlanta. And I don't think there's been a team that I've been more impressed with than the Atlanta Hawks. Now, I don't think that all the moves they made means that they're going to go into the season with the exact same roster they have at this point. But I do think that they'll go in with a similar roster, and it'll be a big help to them as they try to make the playoffs for the first time in Trey Young's career. They signed Danilo Gallinari last night, which was a move I loved. A three-year deal worth about $60 million. One of the NBA's best jump-shooting big guys at six foot ten. He averaged about 19 a game last year, is an elite scorer, all three levels, can get to the basket, can shoot. Uh, he's a phenomenal player. And a guy who's never made an all-star team, but has been in the conversation uh, numerous times. And and uh, really a terrific European, one of the best players uh, that's come from Europe in a while. So they're going to bring him in. He's a veteran. He can help the team with leadership. He's been around a long time. He's been on or, sorry, overachieving teams the last two years with the Clippers a couple years ago. And then this year with Oklahoma City, he'll be a huge help. And then they also brought in Chris Dunn this morning. That was just about an hour ago. And I love that addition. Chris Dunn is... Maybe the NBA's best defensive point guard, a guy who's an all-NBA level defender, and somebody who can come in and back up Trey Young. They've really never had a, a, a really good backup for Trey yet. They had Jeff Teague for a little while. That didn't work out too well. And so they've kind of been searching for somebody that could spell Trey and, and be someone who could help defensively. They could play both guys together and give Trey some support on defense where he's so terrible. Chris Dunn definitely does that. He's a perfect fit. He can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. They can move Trey around and get him off some screens and get him some open open jump shots without the ball in his hand. They can use Dunn in that role as well, and then they can use Dunn to guard the NBA or the other team's best perimeter uh, up, up opponent from that night. So great job by the Hawks. I love that signing. I like the Gallinari signing, and so I look at the roster right now and I think the biggest area where they had need was at guard and having an extra forward. Now they did add Gallinari and Dunn, but I don't think they go into the season with that exact same group. Among the forwards, especially. 
Among the forwards, they've got uh, the two guys they drafted last year, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Both guys were lottery picks. And then they have John Collins, who's a 20-point-a-game guy and is going into his fourth year. And they have Gallinari. Now, I heard last night there was a rumor that they may trade John Collins. And I totally buy into that. I think that's definitely something that will happen. Apparently, going into his fourth year where he's extension eligible, he is looking for an extension, possibly even a max extension from the Hawks. And he had a suspension that he dealt with last year. And when he's on the floor, he's been very valuable. But when you have a guy who's had some off-the-court issues and really isn't a star, has just put up star-like numbers, but it hasn't impacted winning whatsoever, it's definitely hard to give that guy a major extension when you don't know if he's really worth it and it's going to tie you up payroll-wise for the next half decade. So I think the Hawks will look to trade him sooner rather than later, especially now they have a ready-made replacement, a guy who's going to play the same spot that Collins has played for the last few years in Gallinari. He's arguably a better player than Collins. So they're probably going to look to trade Collins at some point. I don't know if it'll happen prior to the season. I don't know if it'll happen during the season. Maybe it happens next offseason even. But I will tell you that it doesn't look like right now that John Collins is long for Atlanta which is unfortunate because they've got a really impressive roster there, a group that to me looks like a playoff threat, a team that could really make some noise in the bottom of the East and give somebody a scare in the first round. Now, do they keep the same roster? Like I said, I doubt it. But just the fact that they've acquired such talent for Trey Young and kept such flexibility among the salary cap for the first couple years of his career is really impressive. They haven't splurged on the wrong free agents. It looks like they're going to make moves on the right guys. And it's going to help them long term. I love their coach, Lloyd Pierce. I like a lot of their young players. I love Kevin Herter, the young shooter they have out of Maryland. I love Trey Young. Clint Capella they brought in. They just drafted uh, the guy out of USC, a Kung Wu. So they've got a nice young core. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I really like the Gallinari and Dunn signings. All right, on to the next team that I want to mention. It's another team uh, from the Southwest Division. This is a big deal. The Wizards are apparently about to part ways with John Wall. The Wizards made a couple of moves yesterday. The big one was signing Davis Bertans back to a five-year deal worth $80 million. They got a huge deal done with the young Latvian sharpshooter. He's six foot ten or 11. He's a fantastic young player, a guy they're going to build around. And it looks like John Wall, the franchise icon, arguably the greatest player in franchise history, wants out. And we found out last night that there were contract talks, or sorry, trade talks between the Oklahoma City, not Oklahoma City, sorry, Houston with Russell Westbrook. I'm missing, mixing, mixing up all these teams. Houston with Russell Westbrook and Washington with John Wall. And we heard there was, there was trade talks there. And apparently those fell apart at some point in the last couple of days, and it doesn't look like that'll happen. But yet John Wall still wants out of Washington because... He thinks it's ridiculous that they are building around Bradley Beal for the future and not John Wall. And to me, this is just an utterly ridiculous argument from John Wall. Bradley Beal's a better player than you. Bradley Beal's been better than you for a couple of years already. And you got to remember this too. John Wall hasn't played an NBA game in about two years now. And he's been hurt. He's had major lower leg injuries. He's been off and on in terms of his jump shooting for his entire career. And he's been a bit of a head case at times. So... It's just, it doesn't seem likely that the Wizards are going to ever side with John Wall again in this battle between Wall and Beal for, I guess, franchise supremacy. It's ridiculous. Those guys got to work together if they want to make this happen. But I guess they're not, and it looks like Wall is going to want out. Now, the only thing is, where do they even trade John Wall? And this is where I feel like these all these trade talks may just continue to fall apart with whatever team they talk with. If they want to trade for Westbrook, that actually made a lot of sense 
because both guys are on bad contracts and both guys can't shoot and both guys have been sort of head cases over the years and both guys are older and aging and rely heavily on athleticism. But otherwise, there's not that many teams around that are going to want to take a guy on a massive deal like John Wall's on long term and somebody who we don't know what his health situation is. We don't know if he's going to come back as explosive. What his jumper is going to look like? Can he defend at the same level? We have no idea. And he has zero leverage in this because he's been out for so long and because his contract is so big. And so most teams aren't going to want to take on a guy like Wall. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to build around a player like John Wall. He's hard to fit into a system. As talented as he may be and as, as much as he may have done for the Wizards over the last decade, there's just not a lot there anymore where you can say his contract's appealing, his, his injury history is appealing. There's just not much that most teams are going to like. And so if you don't trade him for Westbrook, a similar player, I don't know who you're trading him for. And I don't know what the Wizards are going to do to start the season out, but the, the obvious thing to do is just build around Bradley Beal. You keep Bartons like they did on a big deal. They have Rui Hachimura, who I love. Uh, they have Troy Brown, who I like a lot. So they have pieces there that they can start to build with around Bradley Beal. But if they wanted to work with the star backcourt, they've got to make sure that John Wall and Beal are on the same page. And clearly they haven't been. They haven't been for, I guess, quite a while now. And it doesn't seem like the relationship has improved at all. And so it looks like they're going to have to try and move on from John Wall. Do they possibly cut him? Do they just take the bait and trade him somewhere where they can get um, something back for him and probably have to give up first-round picks in the process for somebody to take on that contract? It's a really tough situation. I wouldn't want to be Tommy Shepard, the new executive there today, but I can tell you that it's only going to get uglier in Washington if this feud between Beal and Wall continues. And I don't think Wall's going to get what he wants anytime soon, if I'm being honest. So... We'll see, but tough sledding in Washington right now for a team that's really not good, a team that's not winning very much, and now they've got a few between their two best players and arguably the two best players they've ever had. All right, uh, last segment before I take a first break. I want to talk about the Utah Jazz for a minute. And the Utah Jazz are a team that I saw their first move last night, and I liked what they did, and then I saw their second move, and I said, huh, what are you doing? So let's talk about that for a second. First of all, last night they signed Jordan Clarkson. And Jordan Clarkson is going to get a four-year deal worth about $50 million. He's a, f- a terrific shooter, a guy who's going to score off the bench, a microwave scorer, a six-man for you. And he was one of the more efficient bench players in the game last year on high volume. And so he was a really important trade acquisition once they got him from Cleveland, and he'll be there for the long term. And I like that move. They need scoring. Donovan Mitchell can't do it all himself. And so they needed a guy like Clarkson. Utah has a good roster, and Clarkson fits perfectly into that as a bench piece. Then the other move they made was with Derek Favors. And this one made absolutely no sense. Derek Favors is getting $30 million over the next three years. He's a backup center. He started last year in New Orleans, but he was a former Jazz player who played power forward with Gobert. He can't do that anymore. He's a center. He's clearly a center. He has to back up Gobert. And so you're giving a guy $10 million a season for someone who will probably play 20 minutes a game. Now, I'll say that knowing that Gobert is still there. The only reason this trade may make sense to me is if Rudy Gobert gets traded. And this is is where uh, I I, want to bring this up. Rudy Gobert is eligible for a max extension, a super max extension, the biggest contract you can get in the NBA. It's about $250 million over five years if they want to sign Rudy Gobert. And in the past, we've seen super max get handed out, and we may see another one sooner rather than later with Giannis. And typically when you hand out a contract like that, it goes to a guy who is a franchise icon, a truly guy who's going to be someone with a statue outside your building one day, 
and somebody who you've built around as your core number one player for a long time. Steph Curry got a contract like that. That's what Steph Curry is. That's what Giannis can be. Rudy Gobert, as good as he may be defensively and with his rebounding and everything he does, isn't on that level. He's not a top 10 player in the league. He's not an MVP candidate. He's just a fantastic shot blocker, a fantastic rebounder, and a defender, and a guy who can score a little bit down on the block. That's about it. So is he really worth a Supermax? Probably not. Can they trade him at some point? Probably yes. If they ever look to negotiate with Gobert, I know Gobert's going to want the Supermax deal. Why wouldn't he? He's eligible for it. He's won a defensive player of the year. He's Or tw- two, actually. He's been on multiple defensive, all defensive teams. He deserves his money. But I don't think the Jazz will look at this and, and say, can we give this guy $250 million? And the answer to that is probably no. They have to pay Donovan Mitchell. They still have to pay other guys that they're kind of developing. They have Royce O'Neal. They have Ingles. They have other guys who are expensive. And Mike Conley's there, too. And they're going to want to try and build a contender for the future around Donovan Mitchell. And in such a perimeter-oriented sport like we are now, Gobert just might not be worth $250 million. I don't think he is, and I don't think the Jazz think he is right now. So at some point, if negotiations stall and whenever that may happen, they may have to look at Gobert and say, we got to trade you for whatever we get back. And I know you're a great player, but we'll deal you off and we'll get something in return for you. And we can build a more perimeter-oriented team around Donovan. And that may be the direction they look to go sooner rather than later. And if they do that, then they have a ready-made starter in Derek Favors to be the new to be the new guy in the starting lineup. But until then, to pay a, a backup center $10 million doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I like what Utah has there, especially, as I mentioned before, the Western Conference will be a little bit weaker this year. So Utah could elevate themselves into the top three in the Western Conference. And so they may, they may vault themselves into the top tier, but to, to pay a guy $10 million off the bench as a center when you already have a, a center who plays close to 40 minutes a game in the playoffs, does that make a lot of sense? To me, it doesn't. I like Favor. I think he's a good player, but I just don't think he's worth the contract that he's getting unless he's becoming a starter and the Jazz are just sort of putting the picture up on the wall for us to know what their future holds for them as they build a team around Donovan Mitchell and not Gobert. All right, we'll be right back. In a couple seconds, just after this quick commercial, more free agency deals to talk about. There's lots to discuss. We'll be right back on Schwartz on Sports. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original Hoff Sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at hoffandpepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, you'll save 10% off your purchase. All right, welcome back. Schwartz on Sports here, presented by the Belly Up Podcast Network. We're back with more. Uh, Let's start with the Miami Heat following the commercial break. Uh, A lot to talk about in terms of what the Heat did last night. They made two big moves, and both moves were really smart and can help them in the future as well as the present. So the first thing they did was they signed Goran Dragic to a two-year deal, about $37 million. Now, Drogic, a former All-Star in 2018, a former Most Improved player, and a guy who has been a cornerstone piece for the Heat for a while now, is going to be back for two years. He was the leading scorer for the Heat in the playoffs last year, before the finals, when he got hurt uh, so terribly in Game 1 against LeBron and AD. It was a tragic injury to his foot. He tried to play in the end of the series, and it really didn't go well, and 
He didn't look explosive whatsoever with the plantar fasciitis. And so he's going to be back with Miami. Jimmy Butler desperately wanted him back, and he'll be back for two years, although the second year is a team option, and I'll get more into that in a second. The other move they made was re-signing Myers Leonard, who they got last year from Portland, and he played a big role for them in the regular season, played some minutes late in the uh, in the finals once Bam out of bio missed some games. And so he'll be back also two years, $20 million. Both deals have team options on year two. And here is why that is so important. The Heat have star-attracting ability. That, that's the best way to put it. They attracted LeBron James. They brought Chris Bosh in. They have brought in stars in the past. They got Shaq all those years ago. They brought Jimmy Butler last year. They can bring in stars because they. It, it's a big market. It's Miami. It's a fun city. People want to play in South Florida. The weather's good. So they have the ability to bring stars in. And the Heat have a really nice young team with Duncan Robinson and another star in Jimmy Butler and Kendrick Nunn and Adebayo. They have a lot of pieces that are going to be attractive to free agents. And Giannis has been the number one target for the Heat for a while. And we don't know if, if Giannis will re-sign in Milwaukee. He might this week or soon prior to the season. But if he doesn't, he'll be on the open market next year. And Miami has as good of a shot to sign him as anybody. I think there are other contenders, maybe Dallas, maybe Toronto could be in the mix, but really Miami's been in on him for a while, and I don't think there's any reason why they shouldn't go all at Giannis, uh, throw him all the money they can and say, here, come here, come to Jimmy Butler. We've already been to a finals. You can help us win a championship. And so that may be the move they try and make. If they have Drogic and Myers Leonard on the two-year deals with team options like they do, they can decline those options in a year from now, and they can use that extra money they saved to spend on Giannis. So not only were these moves going to help the they're going to help the team win next season before Giannis comes, but it's also going to help them in the future if they make a run at some star free agent, whether it be Giannis, and maybe there are others, maybe Kawhi Leonard. You know, there are other free agents in 2021 in a loaded class. So there's a chance they could bring in him or somebody else, and it, it could be a loaded team in the Eastern Conference soon. And so if they, if they decline the options on Drogic and Leonard, it gives them the opportunity to do that. All right, on to Detroit. And this is a team that I have no idea what they're doing. They s- drafted a center in the first round the other day in Isaiah Stewart out of Washington, a guy I like. He's a New York kid from Watch- Rochester, and he looks like he's going to be a good NBA player. Then the other day, or yesterday, I should say, they signed Mason Plumley on a $25 million deal last night. They signed another center in Jelly Locafor just a little while after that. And then they went out and signed Jeremy Grant on a huge deal, three years and $60 million. They lost Christian Wood, however. He went to Houston, and he's on a deal with the Rockets now, three years and $41 million. And that's an absolute bargain for a guy who averaged over 20 points the last month or so prior to the, to the shutdown. So they're getting now two centers, or th- three centers, I should say, in Stewart, Plumlee, and Okafor, and they're getting a power forward, a guy who could play center in a small lineup in Jeremy Grant. Now, this is a team in, in, in Detroit that didn't have a lot of shooting to begin with. They lost Luke Kennard earlier this week. Their best point guard is Derrick Rose. They, they're just not a very good perimeter team. They're a team that has, for the, for the last few years, really, has focused heavily on being a paint-dominant team. They have Blake Griffin. They had Andre Drummond for all those years. They had Greg Monroe for a lot of years. They had Josh Smith. So this is a, a team that wants to win inside. And with head coach Dwayne Casey, I guess that's the style he wants to play. New GM Troy Weaver, I guess that's the style he wants to play. But in a game that's becoming more perimeter-oriented, and I talked about it before when I was talking 
uh, about the Utah Jazz, you need to make sure that you have a collection of guards and wings that can help you win. Guys that can shoot, guys that can make plays for themselves and others. That's what the NBA is about. Guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot competently. And Jalil Okafor, as, as good as he was in college, and he may have been the third overall pick five years ago, he's no longer the type of dominant center that you're looking for. He's a role player. He's a guy who's going to be a nice post-up player in 20 minutes a game. He's a decent passer. He's going to help you on the block, score a little bit. But that's really it. He's he's not a, he's not a leaper. He's not athletic. That's not that's not who Okafor is. So they're bringing him in, and then they're bringing a guy in Plumlee, who is a, a pretty athletic and can run pretty well for a big guy. But at the same time, what what is Mason Plumlee really doing for you on a team that already has Blake Griffin and has other big guys? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So they spent a lot of money on bigs. They then spent a lot of money on Jeremy Grant, a guy who had an outstanding playoff run with the Denver Nuggets last year. He apparently took uh, the same deal to go to Detroit. He could have stayed with Denver. He ended up leaving. And now he'll get a starting job, you assume, with with the Pistons, although with Blake Griffin, who knows. And so they had just have too many bigs now. It, it kind of reminds me of what the Orlando Magic had, or still kind of have, actually. Uh, recently, they have Aaron Gordon, Vucevic, Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, just too many tall inside players to win in today's NBA. And so... I guarantee you the Pistons will be the worst shooting team in the league last uh, next year. They might have the lowest volume on those shots also. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense for what this league is trying to build. Now, are they going to try and trade Blake Griffin? Because it's possible that they could do that. Maybe. I've heard Denver is a place where that could be. And they could bring him in as the power forward. That could work. It could actually be a sign and trade where you bring in Grant and uh, Plumlee. And then you kind of move Griffin over to, to, uh, to uh, Denver. That could work. And maybe they'll do that. But if they're going to keep the roster they have, just too many paint-bound guys, too many guys that want to play inside, too many guys that want to use post-touches, and it just doesn't work in today's league. All right, and then finally, uh, as I mentioned, Christian Wood. He is now going from Detroit, after having a great year last year, to Houston. And this is a big move. Houston, as difficult as this offseason has been, got a huge addition yesterday in Christian Wood. Wood was a guy who was in the G League for a while, was... One of the best players in the G League. I believe he won a G League MVP, actually. And then he finally got a shot last year with Detroit. And he made the absolute most of it when Blake Griffin was out. He averaged over 20 points at the end of the year. He looks like a dominant rebounder. He could probably play power forward and center. Kind of uh, switch between those two positions. He really looks like an athletic modern big. And we'll see what his shooting holds up over a full season. If, if he can make enough threes. But he seems to have range from out there, too, a little bit. So... That's a good sign. The Pistons have to be really upset that they lost this guy on a slightly less than market deal. I mean, only three years, $41 million, and that deal actually got revised. He actually added $14 million onto that total. It was supposed to be uh, three years and $27 million, $9 million a year, until I guess they went back and looked at it, and then the Rockets gave him some extra money. Now, here's the question, though. You bring in Christian Wood. Does that mean you keep Westbrook? Does that mean you keep James Harden? And the Rockets have been wheeling and dealing all week. They traded Robert Covington. They've got Trevor Ariza. They traded him. So they've done a lot of trading over the last few days. They traded Clint Capella at the deadline. Now that you have Christian Wood, does that make James Harden want to stay? Does that make Russell Westbrook want to stay? I don't think it does. To me, Wood is a young player, a guy you want to build around, not fall into this sort of a role player mentality where he kind of stands around and just waits for Harden and Westbrook to pass on the ball like the other players that play in Houston. I don't think that's going to work with the guy with a guy like Wood who really has a lot of untapped potential, a high ceiling, 
and a lot of room to grow. I don't think that's the, that's what he wants. So we'll see. Maybe Harden got a little happier last night. Uh, I can tell that PJ Tucker really didn't based on what he posted on his Instagram story with a bunch of laughing emojis. Looks like he's pretty upset that they brought in a guy to basically replace Tucker, but we'll see. Um, so it looks like it's going to be tough sledding in Houston, but this could be a boost to the Rockets. Maybe it made Harden Westbrook a little more uh, willing to stay last night, and I know that's what the Rockets ultimately want. I know they want to try and run it back for another season. That's what I want them to do. But it's it's a t- definitely a tough situation right now, and Christian Wood only helps that. Although they still may trade their guys, so it's just it's not easy to tell at this point. All right, onto the Nets. Speaking of Harden, they made a huge move yesterday. They signed Joe Harris, their development project over the last few years, to a four-year deal worth seventy-five million dollars. And Joe Harris has turned himself into one of the NBA's best shooters, one of the NBA's most elite offensive weapons from a catch-and-shoot standpoint. And he was a guy who was a second-round pick out of Virginia, was really a no-name in the league, came to the Nets, turned himself into a, a big-time starter. And so good good for Joe Harris, good for the Nets. They signed him to a big deal. Now, the question is, can they still acquire James Harden and have Joe Harris on the roster? I don't think they can do that. Now, all the salary cap stuff, I, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but based on the fact that Harden's on a massive deal and Irving's on a massive deal and Kevin Durant's on a massive deal and Harris is now on a big deal, can you bring in Harden? I don't think you can. They can trade Karis LeVert. They can trade Spencer Dinwiddie. They can trade Torian Prince and DeAndre Jordan. Jared Allen too. But can they Can they, Can they? they really make this work with Joe Harris? I don't think they can. And so we heard from Sean Marks that he doesn't want to sacrifice the future just to uh, throw a random team together that can try and win a championship. I think he wants to keep sustainable success. And I think to him, keeping Joe Harris, the guy they developed and turned into a good rotation player is something they were really prioritizing. And I think he'll be there for the for the long term. Now, does this turn off the trade rumors? I don't know. But I think Harden has to look inward now and say, I got to find either a way to make this work in Houston or find a different destination that appeals to me because it is a lot less likely today that he goes to Brooklyn than it was yesterday. And that stinks for Harden if that's really where he wanted to go. But it's just the way the league works. And good for Joe Harris, one of the most deserving guys to get paid in the NBA. And he now gets the money he was looking for. Okay, on to another team that I liked what they did, Portland. Portland's done a lot in the last couple of days, and I like all of it. They added Robert Covington. They made a big trade for him. They added Derek Jones Jr. yesterday. I like him a lot, an explosive leaper, a wing defender, and uh, somebody that can actually match up well with some of the elite wings of the Western Conference, whether it's Kawhi or LeBron or anybody like that. They were missing a piece that could help guard those guys last year in the playoffs, and Derek Jones plays that role. They also brought back Rodney Hood on a one-year deal. Second year is non-guaranteed, so we'll see if it's a two-year deal. But he'll be back also. So good job by Portland. They're a team that kind of flies under the radar in the West. They've made one Western Conference Finals. That was a year and a half ago they were there. And they almost missed the playoffs this year. This was a disappointing season for Dame Lillard. And he played great, but McCollum was a little on and off. And they had injuries and Nurkic, and he was out. And so... Now it looks like they have a real team, again, a team that's going to be whole and a team that's going to be healthy. They have Enos Cantor. I forgot to mention, they brought him back yesterday in a trade. They trade with Boston to bring him back. He was there a couple years ago and helped them get to the conference finals uh, as Nurkic's replacement. And so I really like what they, what they have. Now, are they going to be one of the top three teams in the West? Probably not. But are they a team that could possibly get the four or five seed? Maybe, maybe closer to six, seven, or eight. But either way, they're a tough out and Dame Lillard's amazing. We know that. CJ McCollum can get it going at any time. He can cook as well as anybody else in this league. 
And so good job by Portland. I love Terry Stotts. I love what they do in the front office there with Olshay. And so Portland, although they're not a championship threat, is pretty close to being one of the better teams in the Western Conference. And they could definitely scare anybody in an early round playoff series. All right, last uh, segment I want to do here, Milwaukee. Milwaukee has done a lot. They also had one trade that fell apart. And they were supposed to add Bogdan Bogdanovich. That didn't work out. That ended up falling apart. Oh, breaking news. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me scratch what I was just talking about. Let me, let, me, let me finish this Milwaukee segment, and then I'll move on to the breaking news. This is huge. People want to hear this. So in terms of Milwaukee, I'll do this quickly. Milwaukee, uh, they, the trade with Bogdanovich seemed to fall apart. They cut Ersan Ilyasova. That kind of confirmed it. And this morning, they made a couple moves. They brought in DJ Augustine as an extra ball handler and uh, playmaker. And then they brought in Bobby Portis to be an extra shooter and, I guess, defender on the wing. He can play the four. He can play the five. He's helpful there. He can defend the rim a little bit. So I like the moves that those that, that team has made. But adding Bogdan Bogdanovich would have been a huge addition because it would have given Giannis all the more reason to stay. And it would have given them arguably the, the uh, best starting five in the NBA. So... Unfortunately, they didn't get the guy they were really looking for, but they did get Drew Holiday, and they added some pieces the last couple days. And so they're as good as any team in the East, and Giannis now has to just make his decision based on the roster they have and what happens this year. Um, it's a tough decision for him. Obviously, there are a lot of attractive teams around the league, but he kind of grew up in Milwaukee. That's where he's always been, and uh, I know it's attractive to stay there. Okay, let me take a quick commercial break, and then I'm going to react to the breaking news that just came out about a minute ago from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. This is huge. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to only serve the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve from your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. All right, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. Breaking news for my final segment of the day. This just broke in the last minute. I am reacting to it live. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that the Charlotte Hornets are making the move of the offseason. They are signing Gordon Hayward to a $120 million deal over the next four years. He will be in Charlotte with Terry Rozier, with Devontae Graham, and with new number three overall pick, LaMelo Ball. So they get their new small forward. The Charlotte Hornets have agreed to terms with Gordon Hayward. Four years, $120 million. Wow, this is huge. We didn't know what Gordon Hayward was going to do. We thought maybe the Knicks were interested. We thought maybe the Cavaliers were interested at one point. We had heard a lot of rumors about him going back to Indiana because Indiana was the place where he grew up. He went to Butler, which is in Indiana. He took that team to the national title game. It seemed like the perfect fit for him to go back to the Pacers, and the Celtics were trying to negotiate a sign-and-trade with Hayward to bring him back to Indiana, possibly bring back Miles Turner, maybe Oladipo or McDermott, one of those guys, and make that happen. So now Gordon Hayward decided, I'm going against Indiana where I'm from. I'm going down to North Carolina to sign with Charlotte, 
and to play with a team under Michael Jordan that has not made the playoffs in a few years and looks like it's in a rebuilding phase. But if they get a guy like Hayward, a former All-Star, that may definitely uh, speed up their rebuilding process and get them closer to playoff contention sooner. Wow, this is huge. Um, the first thing I think about is how much Hayward can improve this team. And like I said, they haven't won anything ever. I mean, really ever in the history of the franchise. But this gives them a chance to have a foundational star, somebody to be a veteran, to teach LaMelo Ball, to continue to help develop Devontae Graham. He can play make. He's a great passer for a, for a forward. He can shoot the ball. He can, he can handle the ball. He can defend a little bit. Like I said, a former All-Star. He has some injury concerns. There's definitely injury concerns after uh, the ankle injury in the bubble, after the the uh, leg injury a couple years ago where he missed the whole season, broke his leg. So there's definitely a lot of concern there. But at the same time, he's a former All-Star. He's one of the most respected players in the game. And he'll come to Charlotte and be an immediate boost to that team. I did not expect him to go to Charlotte. This is a shock to me. I could have probably, I would have predicted he was going to Indiana. That would have been the place that I thought was most obvious. The Knicks were also in the conversation. But I knew he was leaving Boston. I just didn't think that Charlotte was the place. I guess something must have came together in the last few minutes for him to go there. And now he is going to Charlotte. Wow, just a sh absolute shocker. Um, the Celtics now, and this is crazy too, the summer of 2018, or 2017, I should say, they signed, or they, they traded for Kyrie Irving and they signed Gordon Hayward. Now they've lost both those guys. They only were there. Kyrie was there two years. Hayward, Hayward was there three years. So after that crazy 2017 offseason, it looked like the Celtics had really vaulted themselves into the top tier of the East, and they made two conference finals since then, but it hasn't gone smoothly. They've had a really rough season in the middle of that, and uh, it just never really seemed to be a fit for Hayward in Boston. He didn't seem to fit the culture there. He had to fall off to a smaller role this season with Tatum, Brown, and Walker, all better players than him. Uh, he came off the bench the previous season for most of that year, so it just didn't go smoothly. We kind of figured that him moving on would be the best thing, but going to Charlotte just gives them a real shot. Um, I don't think Charlotte's a playoff team right now. I think they definitely need to make some more upgrades, but they've got the three guards. They now have they now have Hayward. They uh, drafted P.J. Washington. They have Miles Bridges. So this is actually a real team, and, and not, a, not a playoff team, I don't think, but a team that could challenge possibly for the eighth seed and a team that has only room to grow because they, they're so young and Hayward has a lot of time left as a good player. Again, a four-year deal uh, with a well, worth $120 million, $30 million annually from the Hornets, and that's where Hayward's going. Wow. That'll do it for me here on Schwartz on Sports today. Uh, breaking news. We got the Van Vliet news. We had the Hayward news. A lot of reaction to all the other signings, and uh, it's just been a great free agency period so far. I love free agency. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite times in the NBA each season. And uh, hope everybody has a nice weekend. Enjoy the football tomorrow, and uh, have a good one.